So have you ever had that moment where you've known for a while things have changed, but then all of a sudden in one event everything becomes like crystal clear? Have you ever had that moment? So I was, in, I was standing in a middle school lobby right over here, and it's that rare moment. I don't know if you've ever been in a middle school right before the bell rings, the last bell of the day. You've ever been there? And so when you're standing there, what happens? Like, there's this like sort of vacuum of time and space and sound. And then as soon as the bell rings, explosion, right? And so I'm standing there this, this one moment. The bell rings. Sure enough, everybody's running out. And some kids are going to the bus. Some kids are going to the car, whatever. And this one kid, he comes and he stands across the lobby, sort of catty corner from me. He stands right over there. He's one of the first ones out of his class. And so we're standing there. I was there to meet with um, a student that was in my youth group at the time. Uh, we were going to go out and have a Coke or something. And I was just standing there waiting, waiting, waiting. And apparently my student couldn't open his locker or something like that that happens in middle school. And um, so he was really late. And that kid and I were standing there. And we had that, you know, we kind of locked eyes and we looked at each other. And I did the, you know, the head nod. And... Um, <clears throat> And he just kind of looked at me. And then just everybody kept filtering out, filtering, filtering, and then everybody's sort of gone. And it's he, him and I standing there. And he's clearly waiting for a ride. And he just starts kind of staring at me, you know, that awkward thing. And um, so I, I, I'm, I'm just kind of standing there. And finally he goes, hey, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I, I'm here to, to meet so-and-so. I named this kid. And I said, uh, I'm just picking him up. And he goes, why are you his dad? I said, no, I'm not his dad. I was a lot younger then, so I punched him in the face for saying, no, I didn't really. So he said, uh, he said so I said, uh, actually, I'm, I'm, his, I'm a youth pastor at his church, and I'm, and I'm going to, we're just going to go out and hang out a little bit. And he goes, oh, he goes, so you're a pastor. This is always, this is heading down dangerous road right here. Yes, I'm a pastor. He's like, I got a question for you. Now that's always like, oh no, here we go, right? So it's usually one of a few things, and typically it's not so good. And so I kind of walked over, and I said, well, what's your question? He said, well, here's the thing. See, I don't really believe in this Jesus stuff or this church stuff, but look, I, I pray every day for a half an hour. And I was wondering, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> so yeah, I pray every day for half an hour. And I, I said, who do you pray to? He said, I pray to God. And I said, really? And we began to have this conversation about the reality that for him, he was desperate to talk to somebody about God. And if you think that's just middle schoolers, or you think that somehow that's just like young people, one more story that might illustrate this really well. When my wife and I first were married, we, we moved off to go to seminary. Um, we had been there very long. We were young and incredibly dumb. At least I was dumb. And I'm still dumb, but I was dumber. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> one of the classes that we have to take in, um, in the seminary I went to was an evangelism class, Evangelism 101. And I waited kind of as long as I possibly could before I took it, because I wasn't really excited about it, but I took it, and I took it with a friend or two of mine just so we could sort of get through it, because I wasn't real thrilled. I knew some of the things they were going to talk about, some very formulaic ways of, of sharing faith. And, and if I was really honest, part of my struggle with that was just because it would challenge me to be sort of really out there with my faith. And, and I wasn't really sure how comfortable I was with that. Even though I was a Christian for most of my life, I felt the call to ministry. I was in seminary. And, and so part of the, one of the assignments in the class was this, that we had to go with a pastor, somebody, to a, somebody's house, like on a visit. And uh, hopefully this would be an evangelistic kind of visit. In other words, they were going to try to tell somebody about Jesus in sort of this formulaic way, and, and hopefully they would accept Jesus. 
Okay? So, my friend and I get in the car with, with the pastor of our church, and thankfully, I'll just say, thankfully, we, we got to go with my pa- the pastor of this church, and he was a fantastic pastor. And so, we're kind of nervous and excited to see this in action, and so we get in the car, and we go to this house, and we knock on the door, and uh, this couple had been to church one time, and they'd filled out a card that just said, you know, we're interested in knowing more about Jesus, okay? So he comes, he, he had called them and scheduled this visit, we knock on the door, we go in, and we spend the next hour, and I think this is going to be this sort of formulaic way of just sort of walking all this out, but this pastor, he didn't do any of that. In fact, what he did that really surprised me at the time was he listened. I know it's really weird, right? He listened. And so it turns out that this couple is very unique uh, in, in a lot of ways. The husband grew up in Guatemala in a Catholic family. And, and he, says, what, he says, but now I'm a really bad Catholic because I don't do anything that Catholics are supposed to do, including go to church, ever. And, um, and he was a lawyer and very successful, made a lot of money. Uh, his wife was from Iran. Her name is Sharzad from Iran. And her family was Muslim. She grew up Muslim. And and, um, and here she was in the United States, and uh, they met in college and gotten married and, and wanted to stay here. And, and so they had some questions about Jesus. And so the pastor, he, he listened, and we sort of talked for a while, and then after about an hour, he just sort of prayed with them. And he did, didn't pray a sinner's prayer or anything like that, if you know what that means. And he didn't pray any of that. He just, he just said, uh, I want to pray for peace for you and for your house, and, and we're going to follow up with you. And so in the car on the way back, I remember just like it was yesterday, in part because I was scared for my life, and let me tell you why. So he's driving down the road, I'm sitting in the back seat, my other friend is in the front seat with him, and he's driving, and he turns around just like this. <laughs> and I was like, <gasps> like, he's driving with his knees, I'm not kidding, he's a hand talker. And so he goes, Brian, we were asking him some questions, he said, Brian, I think you and Carol need to follow up with this couple. And then he turned around and kept driving, thankfully. And uh, I was like, oh, good. <laughs> And uh, so my wife and I, the way it worked back then was w- w- this church had a really specific system that you had to walk through in order, to, in order to, to do this kind of thing. So there was these booklets you would do. And so we called them and we set it up and we got them these booklets. And there's like this fill in the blank thing. You would read the Bible and fill out these things. And then you would meet together and go over the lesson and the blanks you filled in and make sure everybody had the right answers and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so God loves, I, I don't care what you say, God has an incredible sense of humor because there's no two couples that were probably more different on the face of the earth than us and them, right? So they're international, intercultural in every way. They had three kids. We were newly married. We had no money. They had a ton of money. We had, I think Carol was pregnant maybe with Meg, but that, I mean, we just, we were so different in every way. And we were just, I mean, I, what I know now, I just say, oh dear God, what, how many ways did we offend them? Who knows, right? But somehow they were really gracious in the midst of that, and and we began this conversation. The first time, we, we've got to go through the booklet, so we went through the booklet. And, and the next time, it was the second or third time we were there ready to go through the booklet. And, and I could tell that Albert wasn't really into this, right? I could tell. And this time, he clearly hadn't done his homework, and da, da, da. And so we got through a couple of questions, and then his wife says, so uh, Albert, why don't you tell him? It's like, oh, no. Because you should tell him. Just go ahead and tell him. And I was kind of, I was thinking he's going to say, ah, this is enough of this, right? We're, we're done. This is kind of not really working. Thank you anyway. You seem to be nice people. Go on your way. And so he says, he kind of tears up a little bit, and he says, and I was like, I'm not that intimidating. 
And then he, he says, uh, says you got to understand this is really hard for me to share because I've, I've only shared this one other time with my, in my life, and it was with my wife. I've never shared it ever, any other time. He said, when I was uh, in college, I, came, I went home to Guatemala, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I was walking through the jungle. They have jungles in Guatemala. I was walking through the jungle, and I was miles away probably from anybody. I mean, I was, I was in the middle of nowhere. I was just walking, just trying to, just, there was a place I know, and I was just walking there just trying to sort of sort through things. And he said, I heard a voice, an audible voice that said to me, Albert, move, look out. He said, and so I sidestepped right when, when I heard that voice. I don't even know why, but I did. And a tree fell right then and would have smashed exactly where my head was. He said, and if that wouldn't have killed me, if it had hit me, it would have hurt me bad enough. And I was far away from anybody. I would have died out there. There's no, there's no doubt. Okay, that wasn't the story I expected. And so I said, well, well what, what's your question? What, why do you tell me this story? And he said, I want to know why God spoke to me. I want to know why God saved me. Oh. And so I sort of stumbled through some sort of answer about how God calls us and God has a purpose for us. And, and we began this relationship. We sort of threw the booklets away and began this relationship where we began to talk about faith and matters of faith. And, and, and maybe these two stories will help us illustrate just for a minute. What if, what if there's a world out there full of people who want to talk about God but don't have anybody safe to talk with. What if? What if? We're going to look in, in a story today in Scripture that tells us a little bit about this. If you can go ahead um, to the passage, guys, thanks. Um, Acts chapter 10 tells us the story about an encounter similar to this, and there's some things from this I want to point out, and then we'll maybe make some other adjustments as we go. But Acts chapter 10, in, starting in verse 1, in Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, I wanted to name my one of my children that, but I got vetoed. So, he was a Flavius was the other one that got vetoed. He was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and prayed regularly to God. If we can stop right there for a second. Now, there's this two pictures. I don't know if you're picking up on it, but there are two pictures here that do not go together whatsoever. The first verse says, "In Caesarea there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius." That right there tells us a whole bunch, okay? He's not a Jew, right? And that's really important because most Jews, most non-Jews, Gentiles, didn't follow God, not in the way that the people of Scripture would have followed God. This comes from Acts, and Acts is the story of the earliest church, the earliest followers of Jesus. And most of them had been, were Jewish, still consider themselves Jewish, really. They come out of that heritage, and so for them, the only way that you could really access God was if you were Jewish. And so right away, here's a non-Jew, okay? And he's a Roman army officer. This is even a bigger deal because, I don't know if you know, but Jesus had said there were two important commandments. Do you remember the two most important commandments? The first one, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one, anybody? Love your neighbor as yourself, okay? And they would debate for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours who my neighbor is, okay? There's a story in Luke about Jesus answering that question. But they would debate about who's my neighbor. And it turns out to a third or a half of all Jews would not have said, would have said that Roman soldiers are not my neighbor. I don't have to love them. Okay, so right away you have this picture of this one side, somebody who's not a, not a God-fearer, shouldn't be involved in the kingdom at all, and then over here on this other side it paints this other picture. It says that he feared God, that his family, that he gave, and, and he prayed. I'm going to keep going here, just point out a few things as we go. One afternoon about 3 o'clock, 
Cornelius had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. Can we pause here just for one second? I don't know what you think of angels, but can I just say they are not precious moment angels? <laughs> like, I'm not scared of precious moment angels, but every time in the Bible an angel shows up, people are scared. It sort of translates they wet their pants, that kind of, that, that kind of scared, right? So anyway, that's not what they look like. But anyway, okay, keep going. So what is it, sir, he asked. Next verse, thanks. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have not gone unnoticed by God. Now, send some men down to Joppa to find a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a leather worker who lives near the shore. Ask him to come and visit you. So he has this encounter with God. Maybe not that uncommon. Maybe not as different from my friend Albert and the conversation he sort of had with God. Do you know that over 90% of people, if they're honest, will say that they have felt in an event or a specific moment that God has spoken to them, directly, specifically. But less than half of all those people will ever tell anybody about that moment. Remember I said Albert, well, he didn't tell anybody. Same thing happens here. He has this, has this moment where God's... And here's one of the things that's really interesting in the story. The angel didn't tell him the message that the angel wanted him to hear, that God wanted for him. He sent him to another human. You see this? Maybe this is a pattern in life, that God is calling us to reach out and have these conversations with each other. Okay, next verse, thanks. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened, sent them off to Joppa to find this guy named Peter. Okay, next one, thanks. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the city, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. He was hungry. But while lunch was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open. Something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, birds. Keep going. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Never, Lord, Peter declared. I have never in all my life eaten anything forbidden by our Jewish laws. The voice spoke again. If God says something is acceptable, don't say it. it's not. Then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Never, Lord. He said, Oh, we already said that. Don't say it isn't. Can you go back to the next one? The same vision was repeated three different times. Then the sheet was pulled up again to heaven, and Peter was perplexed, very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found the house and stood outside the gate. A few things here going on. Peter, if you don't know, Peter was one of the people who knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He, he lived with Jesus every day for three years. He followed Jesus everywhere he went. He knows Jesus. And so he, he's had all these encounters and experiences, and he's praying, and and he's doing prayers as, as he's supposed to, and, and this event happens. And so just sort of describe what happens. This sheet, all these animals, why this is such a big deal, all these animals include animals that are clean and animals that are unclean. In Leviticus chapter 11, it, it tells those people who know the book, the first five books in particular, like all Jews would, what's appropriate food and what is not. And there's a whole bunch of things on this sheet that aren't appropriate food. Right? They're not right to eat for God's people. And so... Peter's really confused by this because God says, get up, kill, and eat. And he says, no, I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. And he doesn't really understand what's happening. And then this really, these guys show up. Okay, next, next one. So they ask if this was a place where Simon and Peter were staying. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, I love puzzling over, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Go down and go with them without hesitation. Uh, everything's okay, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? Let me pause right here. 
Now, this is a good translation, the New Living Translation, which is what this is, but this one part, they, they don't get quite right, and it's actually really important, because he doesn't actually say, I'm the man you're looking for. He says a three-word phrase, here am I. And this is a really important phrase to understand, because throughout the Old Testament, anytime God calls someone, over and over again, when he calls them and they answer in obedience, it's this three-word phrase, here am I. Abraham, Moses, Samuel, Isaiah, and on and on we could go. All these people. He's saying not just to them, but to God, here am I. I'm willing to go. Even though this doesn't make any sense whatsoever, right? This story makes no sense. Even though it doesn't make any sense, he's willing to go. And then, then I love this. He asks a question. Why have you come? And here's something that I think is really important as we talk about sharing faith and sharing good news. And Max is going to pick up on this next week. But just to sort of highlight this here, that I think more than giving answers, a lot of what this is about is being willing to just ask questions together. And he starts with a question. Right? There's a posture here of, I'm with you, I'm learning with you. The method that I was sort of taught when I was in seminary, and, and the method, method of sharing faith when I was younger that, that I mostly saw was this sort of almost like this, like wrestling, right? So we're going to engage confrontationally together. We're going to sort of wrestle through things. And I'm going to prove that I'm right because I have better information than you have. And so when you see my information's better, you're going to listen to me and see my way. But can I say that my experience has been, like what I mentioned with Albert and Sharzad and the middle school boy and on and on, that really when, when we're talking about sharing faith in appropriate ways, it's really more like a dance. I mean, you're still sort of locked in this give and take, but you're listening to the same music and you're trying to do the same kind of thing together. And I can't dance at all. <laughs> People pay me not to dance. But the few times that I have danced with my wife or with my daughters when they were younger, um, I know we're trying to sort of head the same direction. You know what I mean? And there's just something in entirely different in posture when we start with questions. Okay, we'll talk more about that next week. Okay, keep going, if you would. Thank you. So um, they, they go ahead and, and uh, go, go to it. We're skipping ahead a few verses. Um, back up one. So they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for him and had called together his relatives. So you see this picture of the whole house is there. And as Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell to the floor before him to worship. And Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So Cornelius got up. I have a friend, one of the things I think often, for those of us who sort of been around church a long time, is that um, we forget that people don't really want to see us perfect. People would much rather see us as human. Peter says, I'm a human. I, there's a guy I know, he's a pastor, and he's sort of got a really weird sense of humor. And he was in Florida one time in Orlando doing the Disney thing with his family. And his family was really tired after a long day. Some of you have been there. And so they all went back to the hotel, and they sent him out to get Chinese food. And so he's standing in line at this Chinese place. That's what you want to do, stand in more lines. So he's standing in line at this Chinese place, and there's a long line. And he noticed this lady in front of him, she's got this Australian accent. And so... He just picks up a conversation with her, and they start talking about who they are. And she turns out that her and her husband are here visiting, and they're both photographers, and they have a couple kids, and he just kind of learns about their life a little bit. So after he orders and waits in line, he has to get in another line waiting for food, right? And so somewhere in there, the, the lady, the Australian lady, she sort of switched. They tag team, and, and she went and watched the kids, and the husband came to wait in line to get the food. 
Okay, so, so this friend of mine, he's, he's standing there, and this guy in front of him has this Australian accent. So he sort of puts two and two together. And so he, he goes up to him, and he goes, I, I get this sense that you're from Australia. And the guy's like, hmm, you know. He goes, in fact, hold on, I'm getting a picture here. <laughs> a, cam a camera, no, two cameras. And the guy's like, oh my word, my, my wife and I are both photographers. Oh, hold on, there's another, two of something else, two children, you have two children. And the guy's like, who are you? Like, <laughs> and so the guy, he can do this, I can never do this, but he does it with straight face. He's like, well, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and the guy's like, where I come from, pastors never do that, right? <laughs> and so my friend just starts laughing then, and so he kind of lets him in on a secret. They start laughing, and then when they get done laughing, the guy goes, yeah, my pastors where I'm from, they don't do that either. So, <clears throat> But there's something about our humanity that's really important, isn't there? Right? There's something about letting people know that we don't have it all figured out, that we can be real people who tell jokes sometimes. And I think this is really important in this story, that Peter wants to make sure he understands. Okay, next, next little, bar, little part here. So Peter told them, you know it's against Jewish laws for me to come into a Gentile home like this. So Peter's putting it on the table. He's just really bringing up the elephant in the room. But God has shown me that I should never think of anyone as impure. So I came as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Most of us who've grown up in church have grown up in this world that we sort of have imposed on this picture that somehow church people are over here and the world is over here. And and. Peter lived in that same kind of world where Jews and Gentiles weren't really supposed to hang out. In fact, if you were a Jew and you... A Gentile home is ceremonial, uh, ceremonial unclean. What that means is if you go into a Gentile home as a Jew, you have to go and you spend a couple weeks before you can even go in the temple and worship again. This is a big deal. You don't just do this. But he says, look, I'm here. And then he says, I'm here because God sent me because we should never think of anyone as impure. I'll say something more about that in a minute. Okay, let's keep going. <clears throat> Peter, so he, Cornelius recounts, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, Cornelius recounts the angel and what's happened, and then Peter replies, I see very clearly that God doesn't show partiality. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. I'm sure that you've heard about the good news of the, for the people of Israel. This is important. So Peter's just doing his best to articulate what he knows. So he's saying, I'm sure you've heard about the good news, and he says, who's it for? <coughs> people of Israel. That there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Keep going. You know what happened all throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John the Baptist began preaching. And no doubt you know that God anointed Jesus in Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was within him. Next slide. And we, we apostles are witnesses of all he did through Israel and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by crucifying him. So he's just telling the story. But God raised him to life three days later. And God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to those of us God chosen beforehand to be his witnesses. We, he's talking about himself, we were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So he's saying, this is true, I know this is true, I've seen it. Next slide. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is ordained of God to be a judge of all the living and dead. And then he says this, he is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And then check this out. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell 
upon all these people who heard the message. And the Jews who were with Peter, the believers who came with him, were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles as well. This is about spiritual friendship. See, Peter's willing to engage a conversation beyond the, the normal in or out, churched, unchurched, Christian, non-Christian, whatever else with labels we want to put on things. Peter's willing to engage in a bigger and broader way. Can I propose, can you put this up here? Can I propose to you today that you have to see, like, approach, and serve people if you want to be a spiritual friend. Part of it starts with us just seeing who's right around us. Are you with me? So I wonder what that begins to look like. See, what Peter is really doing is embracing what we call the incarnation. The reality that Jesus came to us. This is really important. Stay with me for a second. Because what happened is, I think you know this story, but I don't know if we ever really think about it, that somehow God came to us. We didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to act right. We didn't have to say the right prayer. We didn't have to dress the right way. We didn't have to go to church four times in a row. We didn't, none of that. Jesus came to us because he loves us, and he came to us where we are. John 1.14 says, and I love the message translation of this, says that, that God came, the word became flesh, became just like us, and moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> right? That God came and lives right where we are. Do you know that Jesus came, he lived, so he was a teenager, right? Have you thought about this before? Like he knows what it's like probably to have pimples and right walk through that whole awkwardness. Have you ever thought about this? That Jesus knows what it's like to to be tempted to have people betray him and talk bad about him. He knows what it's like when somebody you really like doesn't like you. Somebody said to me the other day, I think Jesus is the first person in history to make everybody he possibly could really mad at him. <laughs> have you ever felt that way? Like everybody, Jesus knows what that's like. See, I think, and it's sort of the way I was taught, and I don't think it was intentional, but, you know, we used to have these things like don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. Anybody? Yeah? Okay. And what we sort of created was this sort of, just like this aisle here, this sort of dichotomy between church people and non-church people, the world and those who've got it figured out. And so, and we treat, like, people over here in the church, if they ever actually have to go into the world, it's like a trip to the public bathroom. So I have, I have two young daughters. They're older now, but when they were, there was a certain age when you have daughters, and it's, I'm sure it's true the opposite way, where, like, you don't really want them to come into your bathroom with you anymore when you're in public, you know, like if you're out, and they've got to go, it's not appropriate for them to go into the guy's bathroom. So they've got to go in the girl's bathroom, but they've got to go by themselves because I'm not allowed in there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, okay? And this is kind of a, so you coach them, right? You coach them. So I say some things like this, okay? Get in, do your business, and get out as fast as you possibly can, okay? Please do not have fun in there. Number two, touch as little as possible, right? <laughs> Flush with your foot, okay? Because it's gross. And if you think about it very long, it gets even worse, right? So there's these rules, right? And so we sort of have taught people, at least in my experience, that people in the church, that the rest of the world is like sort of the public bathroom. So you just get in and get out as fast as you can. Touch as little as you can. Don't, don't hang out. Don't. But you see how silly that becomes when you understand that Jesus came to all the people. And if you pay attention to Jesus' life, 
Can I ask just this? Some of you know the Bible pretty well. How many parties did Jesus throw? Zero. Now, he promised he's going to throw a really good party later. <laughs> How many parties did Jesus go to? A whole bunch. And what do people say? What are you doing there with those people who are unclean and sinners and whatever else? Prostitutes. And what, what are you doing with those people? If we're really living in the way of Jesus, maybe part of what we're called to do is to say yes when people invite us places. That's not always easy. So before I moved here in Kansas City, the house I lived in, our next-door neighbor was a young guy. He's in his 20s, and he always threw a party at Halloween every year. The first day when I moved in, he came up and introduced himself. He said, hi, my name is Brian. His name is Brian, too. He said, nice to meet you. He gave me his card. and said, I just need you to know. This is like in June. He's like, I just need you to know Every Halloween, I throw a party, and it's a really big party. And when that party happens, if you have any problems, this is my number. I want you to have it. You can go ahead and call me, and I'll take care of it. But I just want you to know this is a big party. Okay, great, whatever, right. So a week before Halloween, he shows up at my house again. Hey, just want to remind you, I'm having a big party, okay? If you have any problems, call me. Okay, great. And he does. He has a really big party. A really big, my kids will tell you, it's really loud. Like, we, we gave them earplugs so they could actually sleep. And, and uh, it's just this huge, it's the only thing he did all year that was like this. They would take all their furniture and move it into the garage so they'd have space for all the people and all the things that would be happening. So my second year there, he says, hey, I'd like you to come to, the, come to my Halloween party. <laughs> this is hard, right? What do I say to this? And, the, and, the, and that year I said, no, I'm, I'm not going to be able to come. The third year, he says, will you come? I said, I'll tell you what, I'll come, I'll come. I'll come for the beginning. So I came for the first part where people were still knew what their names were. And then, <laughs> and then I left. Right? But there's something about this, right, that began this posture. And all of a sudden, after I went to his party, he started grabbing me when I was mowing the lawn, and we'd have some conversations. And, you know, his, his dad was Orthodox Jew, and his mom was a Wiccan priestess. You talk about a guy who screwed up images of God, right? So... But I never would have had those conversations if I'd never gone to his party. And I, I don't know. I think oftentimes in church we like to throw parties, and those are good, but, and it's good to welcome people, but I wonder sometimes if we're not supposed to go sometimes to the parties and places they ask us to. I know that's a little tough, but... So I wonder, what if, what if, what if? What if the very people that God wants to have these kinds of conversations are not the people who have all the answers, who don't have it all figured out, who aren't perfect. Maybe the people God wants to have these kinds of conversations are the people like you and me who screw up and don't know the Bible as well as we probably should and don't know all the answers. And, but maybe we're willing just to walk with people in this dance, to do our best, to live the best kind of life we can. And it just so happens that we believe and we know, I think, that the best kind of life is found in Jesus, isn't it? And so what does it begin to look like if we walk that kind of life with people? A few quick action steps, and I've talked too long already, but a few quick action steps before we go. Yeah, I want to do this. Um, can I get a volunteer? I need a volunteer. I need somebody who actually buys groceries from time to time. Can I get a volunteer? I won't embarrass you anyway. Come on up. Good. Perfect. And I need this right here. Can you hand me that? Okay. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So tell everybody your name. Karen. Everybody say hi, Karen. Hi, Karen. Very good. Okay. Now, Karen, what is this right here? Banana. It's a banana. How do you know it's a banana? 
This is not embarrassing. It looks like a banana. Okay. It's just a joke. Okay, so it looks like a banana? <laughs> okay. Hello? I don't know what the joke is. Okay, so what? This looks like a banana. Yes. Okay. So, but you can't really see. Actually, what are you seeing here? Yellow and a little bit of bruising. Yeah. And what you're really seeing is the skin of the banana, right? Mm -hmm. How do you know inside of this is a banana? Just assume. You just assume <laughs> that? So what would lead you to think that there's a banana in here? Because that's usually what's in that kind of okay. package. Yeah, sure. And so have you ever bought something like this at the store, opened it up, and realized, oh, this isn't a banana in here. It's like a chocolate bar or something? <laughs> That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. <laughs> No, right? Isn't that, isn't that weird? Why is that? Like, do you go to the store? Like, some people do this with corn, right? But they open it up, and they're like, oh, yeah, that's a banana. Okay, I just wanted to be sure. <laughs> Does anybody do that? No? Why not? They, can you give Karen a hand? Thank you. Good. Why, why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Because God makes things of integrity, you know? God makes things that are trustworthy. And I think what our world wants more than anything else is that we not pretend like we're perfect, but that we just do our best to match the outside with the inside, you know? That we just say, this is where I'm at, and I have questions too, I don't have it all figured out, but part of what it means to be a trustworthy friend is just to be a person of integrity. And I think that's what God begins to create and call us to as we go. So a few quick action steps. Number one, I want to challenge you to pray. Pray this week especially. God, will you put in front of me somebody who needs a spiritual friend? And you never know where that's going to show up. I had a friend who was helping. It was a, he was a pastor. He was doing a wedding. And after the wedding, this, lit, this girl had a harp, and she weighed like four pounds, and the you know, harp weighs like 7,000. So she was trying to get into her car, and so he just helped her. And that began like a three-year-long conversation. So you never know. Maybe it's somebody in the grocery store who's struggling with kids. As someone with kids, I know what that's like. Sometimes you need some help. So pray that God will put somebody in your path. Learn a little about people. Learn about them. What's important to them? What's their story? What's going on with them? You know how hard it is to ask that? It's not hard at all. Tell me about your life. <laughs> it's amazing what just that little phrase will do. So pray. Begin to pray and then learn about them and then spend time with them. Like I said, I, I think Jesus did a masterful job of spending time with people on their turf. Right? So be willing to go and say yes if they invite you to their Halloween party or whatever else. Affirm. Affirm, affirm, affirm. You know that God shows up in all kinds of ways in people's lives, and some, sometimes the greatest thing we can do to people is just say, hey, thank you for doing that. Like, I've noticed just around the neighborhood how you're really kind to all of our neighbors. Can I just say thank you? Because that really means, makes a difference for our community, and, and, and to be frank, that reminds me of this Jesus guy a little bit. Can I just say thanks for that? Just affirming those things in people's lives goes a long, long way. And then the last thing I'll just challenge you to is to welcome people. Um, it's one thing to say yes, but it's also another thing. If you're the only one who ever goes to their house, you never invite them to your house, like it's really weird, right? <laughs> and so invite people. Um, welcome people into your life, into your, into your home, and into your church home maybe. Um, invite people in just so they can see sort of who you are and what's going on. We're going to pray, and as we go to prayer, here's what I'd like, like you to do with me. I'm going to start with just like 30 seconds of silence, and this is what I'd like you to do. I'd like you first just to say thanks, God, for sending Jesus who came not because I was good or had it all together, but came to me because he loved me. 
And so just start there. And then, and then I want to ask, maybe just in that 30 seconds, God, will you please bring somebody in, into my life this week? And maybe somebody I already know, maybe bring their name to my, to my mind. Somebody that I can be a spiritual friend to. Just somebody that I can be kind to.